Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. With me, Kevin Dale of University's Kieran Maguire. And you see how chipper I sound, Kieran? That proves that some comedians can act. Unlike in Wonka, which I watched Saturday night, which proves that many comedians cannot act. And many actors are not funny, uh, which is by way of a distraction, of course. Did you know, just Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, Brighton Hove Albion's Kieran Maguire, uh, your biggest win against Palace since 1956, when I imagine Roy Hodgson was also coaching Palace. Uh, <laughs> and we're recording this on Sunday. I've got my fingers crossed that by the time it goes out, he won't be coaching Palace. Uh, we can get on with the serious business of recasting him as a legend rather than the man who's going to relegate. So you have a nice day. Yeah, I'm sure you had a lovely day, Kieran, didn't you, on, on Saturday's good result? Apart from the fact you lost a small amount of money betting on the opposition to win, as you know, that was my one, right. my one consolation at 10 past five. Well, yeah, yeah, he's, I bet he's happy, except for that tenner he lost. Ha! That'll teach him. <laughs> yes, all, all is good, all is good. Uh, yeah. Recording the show and then heading back up to Liverpool. Uh, I think I'm doing an Everton podcast tonight. And, oh, nice, uh, good luck. <laughs> a, few, a few few, others um, yeah. lined up for the next few days as well as as well as well doing teaching. I do, I do actually have a day job. You're still, do, yeah, you're still, you're still, you're still, you're still doing that, and oh, that's nice. Um, yes. Yeah, to make matters worse on Saturday, I, was, I, was, I wasn't too bad because Ali, Ali was back off tour on Saturday, so yeah, right. more important things, but... We had, and she's got a friend staying on Saturday night. For well, well, I tell you what, let's cheer Kevin up. We'll 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 treat ourselves and we'll we'll watch Wonka, and and it did the opposite of cheer me up, Kieran. It it actually <laughs> angered me. It was it should have been called that'll do, basically, because if ever a film was made at half past five on a Friday, quite clearly the process went along the lines of, um, "Hello, Mr. Producer, we've we've written the third Paddington film." And we've put some of the old jokes in from the first two Paddington films because people like them so much. We've got some of the old sketches and scenarios and plot lines. And the producers obviously said, oh, I'm afraid the bear's not available for it, Phil. And they just went, oh, have you got a Wonka? Yeah, all right, we'll do it about him then. It's just... Yeah, it's questions day, Kieran. Should we get? We might as well get. We have to. We might as well do a show. Might as well do the show. Yeah, we've got some stuff off our chest now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm pleased to say that people have started to uh, actually add pronunciation notes on their names for this one. (laughs) Finally, (laughs) finally, after four years of people going, there's some way we could help that poor sod out when it comes to pronouncing our name. Funny, we could. It's like, yeah, great. Just phonetics. It's all Barry Walsh. 
I don't need any help pronouncing Barry Walsh. Um, I, I like I like this question because again, this is this smacks of, a, of two blokes in a pub. Yeah, well, this, this should happen. Um, uh, Barry says, when a club buys a player and it turns out to be an expensive flop, apart from the manager who signs him, who carries the responsibility for signing the player internally? So, so far, not a football finance question, just an interesting concept. But then, says Barry, how difficult is it for clubs to get financing for other big-name signings in the future if they've damaged their reputation for signing big-name flops? Do banks' interest rates on loans go up, etc.? Which... As I say, Kieran, smacks of a pub conversation, but it's it's actually, I think, a, an interesting question. If, if if a club gets a reputation for not spending money very well, are, are people going to be more reluctant to lend them money to spend? Yes, and, and I think if, perhaps if we address that part of, of the question first, um, all banks do a risk assessment when lending money. And one of the things that they will do is that they'll look at your, your credit history. Now, if if your history is one of borrowing money and struggling to repay through not being able to recoup the the, the cost of the player through selling the player for a decent fee or they're paying them such high wages that the players refuse to leave, then that would have an impact going forwards. It's not as big an impact as where your expected final position in the table is because from the bank's point of view, their big fear, should this club be relegated, where does that leave us? And, And we've seen the likes of MSD Holdings and Macquarie. Um, you know, interest rates have been going up. Uh, I, th- I think some of the clubs are now paying around about 13 14% on the, the deals that they've been doing in respect of individual player transfers. Whereas you know, a couple of years ago, you could probably borrow at 7 8%, 9%. Um, so you know, the, the interest rates are going up where the lenders feel that they are genuinely twitchy about uh, the individual club. If we take a look at Everton, um, the, the banks are now very reluctant to, to lend to Everton. Or I think we'll be, we'll be revisiting Everton probably on Thursday because it looks as if they borrowed yet more money, but no, no corporate lenders are willing to, to provide funding for the club. So it certainly does have uh, an impact uh, because you, you do that type of assessment. I think it's a valid comment from Barry. In terms of the first path part of his question, um, you know, whilst this sounds glib and cliched, you know, when it comes to player transfers, uh, you know, it's, it, we always say yeah, success has many parents, failure is an orphan. And when you sign you know, a Kai Shado or a Zaha or whoever it's like that, everybody that... It was even in the corridor when that kid was just walking down. We'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I could tell from day one that it was a good one. If the player is a flop, then um, you you find people will distance themselves from it. As far as the decision is concerned, we are moving at some clubs from having managers to coaches in, in the sense that there will be perhaps a committee which will be very much controlled by the director of football along with the analyst with the analysts what will the coach stroke manager be involved yes but theirs will not necessarily be the senior voice and yeah you know, i think liverpool were quite famous for moving towards a committee um, a few years ago and they've certainly reaped the rewards there so you've got the manager you've got the scouts you've got the analyst you've got the director of football and you'd expect on the back of that to, to make a few wrong decisions, but sometimes things don't work out. I mean, I, I read a, an article 
uh, this week in The Athletic about Calvin Phillips and Manchester City. And sometimes it's good players simply go to the wrong clubs. His style of football wasn't suited for Manchester City. And, you know, everybody thought he worked hard in training. He, he was never any trouble. But so, sometimes, and this goes for other walks of life, you know, and you know, it all comes down to us. Sometimes your face just doesn't fit. And, and it's not, it's not, anybody's fault as such it's just a, an issue of circumstance <clears throat> well with Calvin Phillips I mean Guardiola was was quite open and public about it saying he's, he's a really good player I don't fancy him basically yeah. which, which I, I don't know whether a player will further approach I suppose as well in terms of who's responsible for expensive flops you, increasingly you've got clubs like Brentford who base their decisions purely on on data and, and the manager doesn't really get a look in there either. So I'm just interested to clarify the financial side here, Kieran. So if, if for example, they wouldn't go to Barclays, I imagine, but say, you know, say Tottenham and Everton were both to go to Barclays and say, we'd like to borrow a hundred million pound. Barclays are probably going to go, well, actually Tottenham are running their club well. They seem to be prudent. They've paid money back in the past. So yes, we'll lend it to them six percent or whatever but they'll say not sure too much about everton will lend them 50 million at 12 percent. so banks are perfectly able to charge their own rate of interest and not tied down to uh, a, a national rate that, that's right and also they've, they've got the option to say no and, and that's what i think we've seen yeah. in respect of some clubs spurs and i've said this on many occasions spurs are the best run business in the premier league um but you don't follow Spurs because of the business side of things, but that has allowed them to borrow all of that money for the stadium has been borrowed at around about three, three and a half percent interest, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that's lower than base rates. And, and that's on the back of having a really good track record. If we go back to the Glazers and when they first acquired Manchester United, nobody had heard of them. Football was seen as a risky business. And Manchester United were paying on some of the PIK loans that they had, 14 and a quarter percent. This is Manchester United. This is what you'd think would be a gold chip company. But the, the lenders, the, the lending industry was very suspicious of football 10 years ago, or sorry, 20 years ago. But it's not the case uh, today. PIK, Kieran, means? Payment in kind. Oh, okay. uh, this, is, uh, this is a... Uh, this is a type of loan very much uh, favoured uh, by my uncle Terry, where <laughs> you you borrow money and uh, you pay interest uh, in his case on a weekly basis, and you add interest to the interest because if, if somebody can't re afford to repay, and Manchester United took out these loans, they didn't pay anything back at all. They didn't pay any interest or any capital back, and then it, you know, and you got fourteen point two five times fourteen point two five. That that money very very quickly adds up. West Brom have got, a, I think, a similar issue with uh, Warm Front Holdings, where they're paying 5% interest a month. You know, that works out at 74% a year on a compound basis. And these things can get very scary very quickly. And you know, this is a football finance show. I know people that, you know, joke, joking aside about Michael Chow, I know people that have to borrow money from money lenders, and that's how they operate. And it's 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 heartbreaking to to hear some of the stories. The interest rate, Kieran, it, it is confusing for some people. Um, and when I say some people, I mean me, because I do try and take an interest in economic and financial affairs. Um, it, it doesn't normally work, but I try. So, you know, listening to the news last week about the, the Bank of England and the, the interest rate, 
So it, it then gets slightly confusing when you hear that, yeah, there is an interest rate that's set, but banks are able to, to do whatever they want. They, they don't, they're not tied down to that. They can charge whatever rate of interest they want, which is where it gets a bit confusing for people like me. Yeah, if, if we talk about the Bank of, in- Bank of England's position, the Bank of England is known as the lender of last resort as far as if you go back to you go back to 2008 remember when we had that car crash the, the world economy genuinely was in danger of, of effectively going into administration and um the, the role of a central bank is if barclays have got a problem if hsb have got a problem on a short term basis what they can do is that they can phone up the bank of england and the bank of england will say well look, our base rate is five and a quarter percent so the Bank of England will lend to Barclays. But how is Barclays going to make money? Well, you make money as a bank by borrowing at five and a quarter and lending yourself out at, say, nine. That's oh, okay. what you make on your own margins. Right. So that's why if we see the Bank of England's base rate going up, that has a ratchet effect because the mortgage lenders say, well, look, you know, we can't borrow from the Bank of England as cheaply as before. So therefore, we've got to increase the rates that we charge to, to mortgage holders and so on. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Luke Williamson. Um, I like Luke Williamson, Kieran. I, to my knowledge, I've, I've never met him. Uh, Luke, if we have met and had a conversation and I've forgotten about it, I apologise. But Luke strikes me as a lovely, warm, gentle, optimistic person because he's asked a nice, warm, gentle, optimistic question, which is, uh, I think I already know the answer to it, but it's a, it's a lovely question. And it's, it's the sort of thing we've debated on a, on a sort of meta level, if you like. But Luke says, now that Premier League clubs earn so much from broadcast deals, why do they continue to charge such high prices for season tickets when you take into account the negative press that expensive tickets create? And we discussed this just last week in the case of Fulham. Uh, uh, did we not, Kieran? Um, would it not be ingenious, says Luke, in terms of positive PR, for the big clubs to make their season ticket prices far lower it seems to me it wouldn't affect their total revenue that much. And and we've spoken from the start, or you've tried to instruct me from the start, Kieran, about the uh, the ratio of match day income to broadcast income and, and so on. So it strikes me that Luke would have... I mean, they're, they're going to sell out Anfield anyway. Well, I suppose that's that's why they can charge what they want, because they're going to sell out Anfield. I've answered my own question there, Kieran. Let's move on to question three. <laughs> Yeah, you you are absolutely right. There's there's an element of, of supply and demand. Um, you, know, you and I are old enough to remember top flight football in the late seventies, and the grounds weren't full. You know, and and that's when you know, we, I, I remember that it really kicked off when it went from one pound to one pound thirty to watch Brighton at the Goldstone because we'd just been promoted to the uh, uh, the, the old first division, the equivalent of the Premier League. Um, so. From the club's point of view, they are there to... It's not a case of maximising revenues. It's a case of trying to to break even. 18 out of 20 clubs in the Premier League lost money in 2022 on on a day-to-day basis. So, therefore, they would argue, you know, we need to recover that. If we take a look at the the smaller clubs, the likes of Burnley and Bournemouth and Luton and so on, yes, they only get 3 to 4% of their total revenue coming from ticket sales. So do they have to increase prices? Probably not. But they would also argue, you know, if we don't do that, then our losses go from you know, £8 million to £12 million. Who's going to fund that extra 4 or £5 million? If we take a look at the bigger clubs, 
We've got three clubs, Arsenal, Manchester United and Spurs, all generating more than £100 million a year from ticket sales, and they're selling out every single match. They would argue that actually they're selling tickets at too low a price. And for all of the stick which has been levelled at the Glazers, much of which is justified, Manchester United have frozen ticket prices for, for, for the main stands, I think for 10 years out of the last 11, something like that. Um, although I, I was contacted by somebody who's in a hospitality box at Manchester United to say that they've had, I think they had a 15% increase this season and they've just had notice for next season. It's going to go up another 20% because, again, Manchester United say, we've, we've, got, a, we've got a long list of people. There's a, there's, a, there's a waiting list for these. So why can't we charge you more? So clubs are going down that route. And also, you know, the Glazers are sore because they've not had Super League and they've not had Project Big Picture, which would have improved their financial position. So now they're taking it out on the fans because it was, let's face it, it was the fans who brought down Super League. Mm. <clears throat> and, and also, talking about let's face it, Kieran, we know these are times of economic hardship for a lot of people, but there are still many, many people who can afford a box at Man United, no matter what it costs, and are only too happy to take the kudos that comes with that. Our third question, Kieran, comes from Andrew Floud. That's Floud. And the reason I know it's Floud is because Andrew says, I know Kevin had problems with my name previously, but it's Floud, pronounced Cloud with an F. So if if I was more... Cloud, isn't it? Huh? Cloud. Cloud, exactly. Kieran, I'm I'm very proud. I feel the same way uh, I did when Gary Lineker started writing his own puns. And I felt like a, a proud parent taking the stabilizers off a child's bike. You, you've, you've been with me for long enough to you, you did my joke. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, oh no, sorry, sorry. If only, if only uh, accountancy permeated from you to me in the same way comedy has permeated from me to you. <laughs> uh, but Andrew Floud has a question about La Liga, and he wants to know what happens when clubs go down there. Are there parachute payments in Spain like there are in the Premier League? Says Andrew. Yes, there are, Andrew. Um, they were introduced by uh, Tebas, I think it was about 2018-19. And I, th- I think in, in my view, uh, yeah, I've always sort of supported parachutes in terms of their formal aim, but I've also been critical of the level of parachutes. I think they're, they're given for too long, and I think that they're too high. Spain, however, I think has got things uh, slightly better. They're around about £12 million a year compared to, um, I think it works out as around about £43.5 million. Yeah, the, the Premier League has just published its annual report, so I'll be, I'll be reading that on the train heading up to, to Liverpool later today if anybody sees uh, an intense-looking man. <laughs> oh, parachute payments? Um, that's probably me. Um and you only get them for one year in Spain, as opposed to two and three years, as far as the Premier League is concerned. And the other issue is that they are linked to the amount of time that you've spent in the Primera League, uh, if you are relegated to the, the Segunda League. Um, so therefore, if a club's been in the Premier League for six or seven years, um, then you're going to get more money than a club's just come, gone straight up and, and come back down again. So I, I think Spain have got the the optics better than we have here. Um, I'm still broadly in favour of them as a, as a concept because I don't want to see any clubs going into administration. And 
the only way that clubs could cope if you abolish parachute payments is if they had wage uh, wage clauses which would reduce wages by around about 80% um, upon relegation. And you're not going to get players to sign up to that. So then the clubs that get promoted, because they can't get the players to sign up to that, they automatically get relegated anyway. See, I'm worried now that some of our uh, less scrupulous listeners will book themselves a ticket on a train to Liverpool and stare intently at a spreadsheet on a laptop in the hope that they get mistaken for you. It's it's Kieran Maguire. There's a a little snack pot there of Alfafa and Quinoa. It must be him. (laughs) So they can bask in the reflected glory of what it's like to be the country's leading football finance academic. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Oliver Bridge has a question, uh, Kieran. We haven't had a one-club question for quite some time, but Oliver wants to know how his club, Colchester United, are doing financially under Chairman Robbie Cowling. Uh, yes, and of course we have uh, Steve Lamack as our celebrity Colchester United fan. We do. Uh, and I've, I've listened to the first episode of The Price of Music and it was dead, dead good as well. So if uh, if, those, if you finish with amortisation and us, move across to... Uh, to the price of music, our our fellow fellow podcast in the stable. Um, going back to Oliver's question, um, this is a, a classic example of you go, how much? Um, under uh, on, under Robbie Cowling, who operates a, a company called JobServe, Colchester United are losing £40,000 a week, you know, £2 million a year. And you go, hold on, it's, it's Colchester. Yeah, they, they, they can't be signing that many players. And and I've always had a soft spot for Colchester because one of the very first matches I went to was an FA Cup match against Leeds United, where I think it was it was Ray somebody scored a couple. Colchester beat Leeds, the mighty Leeds United 3-2. Ray Crawford. Oh, Ray Crawford, that's yeah, right. You were at, was, you were at uh, that game. 
Oh, I was at that game. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I was about, about nine years old, and it was sort of you know, <laughs> my parents said, "Just, just, just get out of the house, Kieran." Yeah, wow. that's, that's how it was in those days, yeah. Kevin. It was, it was different times, yeah, wasn't it? And I, I was football mad. Yeah, I said before we answer the rest of it. I mean, that's for me. That's probably one of the, the most legendary games of football this country's ever seen. And the the Colchester management got up to some really annoying tricks. And Don Revy was the master of dirty tricks. They because they put some. <laughs> They put seats right on the touchline. They they uh, brought the the narrowed the pit. That's you that that guy. I mean, I mean, what what a terrible place to go and watch football. Lair Road used to be, but but that's fantastic to say you're at that game. Anyway, the the, the question, Kieran. Let's yes. So um, the, the the concern is in total, Colchester United have lost thirty five million pounds. Yeah, we're we talking about a a club which. How many people ever mention Colchester United? So, so Robbie Cowling is effectively treating it as a um, as as a personal fiefdom. Um, if the, if the fans are frustrated without the money that's coming in, because all of that money is, has been provided to Colchester United in the form of interest free loans, you, you would genuinely fear for the club's existence in in the ninety two. Um, so. It's a classic, you know, damned if you do and damned if you don't. The, the, the club doesn't get a lot of attention. Yes, the crowds are relatively static, but um, it's a very expensive hobby. Uh, you know, fortunately, his other business historically has has generated enough profits to allow him to to fund uh, his football club, as is the case with, with many of the smaller clubs when you start to look into the, the intricacies and the details of the finances. It's not that long ago, Kieran, probably only 10, 15 years when people were talking about Colchester being able to establish themselves as, as a championship club. Um, it's relatively, you know, it's Norwich, Ipswich, Southend, I suppose the closest clubs to them. So there's, there's they should be getting decent crowds. So as you say, it's, it's taking that much money just for them to sort of tread water, essentially. Yeah, and, and that just shows how expensive a business Football is, you know, of of the of the ninety two clubs, more than eighty are losing money. In any other industry, which has been in existence for more than a century, the business would, have, you know, the businesses would have been closed down. And again, you know, we're, we're not we're not going to labour a point about uh, the music industry. Um, but if you look at the number of music venues which are being closed down, clubs and theatres and so on, it's it's pretty horrendous. If you take a look at the hospitality industry. Restaurants and pubs are being closed down, and yet football manages to struggle on simply because the owners put on these blinkers and say, "I'm not going to to, to stop the club." And, and we are we are fortunate that there are enough owners who, who take that view, even though the, the, the much broader risks are very very significant for what happens if the circumstances of that owner changes or they lose interest or whatever. When we interviewed Steve Lamack and, and Stuart uh, Dredge. Um, as a sort of PR thing for the the start of the Price of Music, it was both eye-opening and heartbreaking to hear Steve Lamack say that he was introduced to two German tourists who said to him, can you recommend somewhere uh, tonight in London that we can go and see some music, any music? And he went, no, because they've all gone. He said, whereas five years ago, I could have rattled off 15 places where you could, of various sizes where you could see music. And they just was... And, and he talked about a venue in Ipswich as well, a long-standing venue... Uh, landlords put the rent up. That's it. You can't do it. So, a, a place where the people of Ipswich and the talent of Ipswich probably Ed Sheeran probably played there at some stage. There's they, that's that's gone, and it's for, mm-hmm. you know 
the way we talk about a football club going into administration or going bust for the lack of 30,000 quid, it's the same with these venues that people have loved all their life. Um, Dan Greet has our next question, Kieran. Um, I, I like the sound of Dan. I think Dan's a bit snarky. The, the same way I've been since about 10 to 5, well, actually, no, since about 3.45 on uh, <laughs> on Saturday. Dan Greet says, do we know, uh, I don't know why I said it in a kind of semi-Mark Steele voice, here, do we know? <laughs> that, would, <laughs> that would be like, um, do we know how much Deadpool and his mate, <laughs> as Finley not a Mark Steele fan, <laughs> he's coming in. No, he's, he's coming in. in. He's, he's, coming. So oh, he's Mark... he thought, who's, who's that? Who's that new bloke in the room? Mark Steele's on the pod. Oh, oh Finley's great. He's waited for this moment. Oh, I'll just get some wonky chops and pull up a, a comfy beanbag. Listen to the rest of the pod, says Finley. Dan Green says, do we know how much Deadpool and his mate have, have invested in Wrexham and how much have they recouped via Disney Plus and increased sponsorship, etc.? It made me chuckle the way he just referred to him as Deadpool and his mate. <laughs> but it's an interesting question, Kieran, because, we, of course, we've talked about this at, at some length, but I don't think we've ever actually gone into the detail of, of the, what, was, what they actually put into the club, the actual financial investment and how much they might have recouped. Yes, if we take a look at Wrexham's most recent accounts, and they go up to the 30th of June 2022, so the promotion season is it's probably going to cost them some more money. They, they lost £3 million in 2122, uh, and that's despite having the big sponsors. You know, their commercial income went through the roof because you know, aviation, gin, and TikTok, you know, they, they, as opposed to, and, and this is no disrespect you know, to the local you know, greengrocers or you know, the, the local car, car mechanic company who are, who are sponsoring the shirts and so on. So they had a lot more money coming in but they were losing money. They spent £1.2 million on player recruit, on, on player signings, which is the record in the history of the National League. Um, the, the two owners um, had put in between them £3.7 million in loans. So that was at June 2022. I suspect they put in significant amounts before that. And you were saying, you were mentioning earlier about Bank of England base rates, well, they have lent that money, you know, and uh, you, know, you think about you know, Steve Parrish at, at Palace, he's lent money to the club interest-free. You're looking about Abramovich, Tony Bloom, all of these owners, they, they've lent money interest-free. Um, McElhenney and Reynolds are lending to, to Wrexham at uh, the base rate plus 3%. So they are getting some of that money back. Now, in respect of how much are they recouping via Disney Plus, I think they are the executive producers of the show. So that's going to go into their private financial affairs back in the US. So we don't know how much the, the, the club has generated from these activities. And I think it's a shame that, that Wrexham used to be very transparent. They used to go beyond the call of duty in terms of what they would publish in the finances. And now they've taken the, well, we're only going to publish you know, effectively a bare minimum. We're not going to show the income statement. We're not showing the amount of money coming in, um, the wage bill and so on. Perhaps they're a little bit sensitive about that. I don't know. But th there have been some real positives. I mean, I, I was looking at the accounts and uh, you know, on the back of the success of the show, again, this is this is twenty one twenty two. The number of people employed by Wrexham AFC went from eighty to one hundred and ninety five members of staff. Oh, yeah, that's wow. more more than an extra hundred jobs are being created on the back of these two guys 
And you know, I've, I've said it on the show more than once. It's a great show. You don't have to be interested in football because it's about people. It's about you know the guy that runs the the local pub. It's about the fans that have been going for thirty or forty years. Yes, it's, it involves a couple of the players. It involves my mate Sean Harvey, but I'm not talk about that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and so on. But but uh, they to date they've lost money, and people have said to me, surely if they sell the club, they'll recoup not just that money, the amount of money that they paid for the club and a lot more. And if I was advising a buyer, I'd say be very, very careful. And this, this, is, not, this, is, this is not disrespectful to the football club or the fans because I've been on a Fans United day at Wrexham and the fans are absolutely brilliant. The value in the Wrexham brands to a certain extent is coming from the owners. So if the owners go, you know, if they get up to the championship, um, you know, and the owners then decide to cash out, doesn't mean you're going to get that same level of interest once once uh, you know McElhenney and Reynolds di- disappear. <clears throat> it may come as no surprise, Kieran, to learn that I have been thinking about Steve Parrish lately quite a lot. Uh, uh, <laughs> Steve Parrish, oh boy, his ears will be burning, but clearly uh, he can't read my mind because nothing's happened. It's, um, <laughs> also, also. What is surprising, though, Kieran, I, I think a lot of us, myself included, would have assumed that any money that McElhenney put into the club was either a gift or was, was interest-free. So I'm quite intrigued to learn that it's 3.5% above base rate. So that's what? 3%. Yeah, 3%. Yeah. So that's yeah. currently so that's about 8.5%. 8.25, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5, 8.5,
Um, if we take a look at the three clubs being relegated, again, that wouldn't have changed. So it would still have been Southampton, Leeds and Leicester. But Chelsea would have dropped to fifth bottom in the Premier League. So they didn't have a good season, but they would have dropped to uh, 16th. Um, Newcastle would have dropped to six because they were in the first year of ownership of PIF and therefore they think has uh, substantial losses. And you'll be delighted to know that Crystal Palace are still 12th. <laughs> now, whatever happens to Crystal Palace, we can always say still 12th. It's a bit like what the matches, yeah, the results at Selhurst is going to be 1-1 between us two. Well, that's a bit... A bit in, in, oh, at Selhurst, yeah, I see, fair I see what you did there. Selhurst Park, it'll be 1-1. I was going to accuse you of slipping the stiletto in between the ribs there, Karen, but you're, you're quite... I would take... Oh, God, my God, I yearn for 12th. I'd happily take 12th now. Uh, <clears throat> Steve Parrish. I'm doing, I'm doing a full Muttley now, Kieran. Um, our, our penultimate question comes from <laughs> Toby Anamashahan. Uh, uh, Toby, I'm going to refer you back to Andrew Floud. Um because if I've if I've made a hash of pronouncing Anamashahan, then I apologise. But it's you, I do have some notes here, here, although it would be a fantastic score in Scrabble were you allowed to have surnames. Um, <laughs> yes, um, Toby. This is it, it's an interesting question, Kieran, and it, it's we we kind of talked about this issue with with Pat Nevin, uh, Pat Nevin, just before Christmas, and it's just, it's. It's it's also quite a sad question because it's it's very true. Toby says, my question is about the number of footballers who have gone bankrupt over the last few years. Can you give me some insight into how this happens and how players in the modern era can make decisions to avoid this in the future? And I'm no care. I think in the past, the PFA have told us that it's, it's, it's as many as 30% of ex-players outside the Premier League have had serious financial issues or gone bankrupt following the end of their career. That's right. And, it, and it's not just players who uh, are in the lower leagues. So there's been Premier League players. I'm, I'm not going to mention names. I don't not. think that's no, no, appropriate. No, um, and also, for the sake of transparency, I, I work for the PFA. Um, I do their finance courses for them. Uh, and I'm doing one at present. Um, in, in respect of how it happens, is that if we take a look at our lifestyles, we get we get familiar with a certain level of expenditure in our life. And normally your income goes up throughout your career on an incremental basis, on, on, a, on, a, on a fairly sort of, you know, can, can be very slow, but at least you know there's not going to be any, any shocks in, in terms of significant decreases. When it comes to being a professional footballer, you've gone from earning X per month um, that can be a very large amount of money. And the reason why so many go bankrupt is that they get used to a lifestyle where they're spending you know, 90, 95, 100% of that X, and then the taps get turned off very quickly. And yes, you've got the big house, and yes, you've earned a lot, but you've still got a mortgage, you've still got a car. Um, and the insurance for a professional to be a, when you're a professional footballer, the insurance rates are very, very high. And the insurance rates for ex-professional footballers tend to be very high as well. So you might have uh, you know some some finance outstanding on the car. You've got the insurance costs. Um, I, I, 
It could be that you have got kids who you put into school and you're paying for that. Your partner is used to a certain level of lifestyle as well. And all of that has to be reset upon retirement. And that's actually quite difficult because um, you know, you've you've known some some players, and I remember you telling me the tale about Neil Ruddock when he when he retired. Um, he got a toothache. Was was that the case? And he he never had to go and go to an NHS. In fact, he didn't know what the process was because pr- from the age of you know eight or nine, whatever it was, when you first come into the academy, the clubs look after the players, and this is from self interest from from the clubs. They don't want the players to think about anything else than football, anything else about remembering the drills, anything else about the next match, anything else about you know their responsibilities on the pitch, and they take that away from the players. And the critics will say, oh, well, the players lead a pampered life. No, this is this is actually coming very much from the clubs themselves. And you retire, all of a sudden, your agent, who's been responsible for your tax, has been responsible for paying some of your bills, has been responsible for your contracts and so on. They've disappeared because you're no longer of, of any benefit to them. Um, you've no longer got the support from the club. And it is quite a cultural shock uh, you know, the PFA is trying to make sure that its members are getting that education and and getting interested in personal finance. It's like many things in life. You know, I know as a, as a teacher, I'll do additional classes you know, before an exam, but I know that the people who most need to attend that additional class are the ones who are least likely to turn up. Well, it, it's the same, and this is not being... A, critical of individual players or groups of players or trying to stereotype it's not exciting you know nobody cares you know, if you're if you're 22 23 the thought of a pension the thought of growing old none of this is relevant to you yeah you know, and it's still not relevant to us and we're in you know we're not as young as we used to be we still think we're going to live forever um and trying to get the dull stuff across look you know i know it doesn't affect you today in 10 years, 20 years time, you still want to be living in that house. You still want to be having a certain quality of lifestyle where you can go on a decent holiday or two a year and so on. It's very difficult getting it across and you've got to plan for it. And, and there have been many successful, you know, we know that some players have, have bought into huge numbers of properties or have diversified or have set up uh, trusts and so on in advance, but some of them don't. And that's why we are seeing such a significant amount and that goes hand in hand. Another big issue upon retirement is the high levels of divorce. Yeah. Because yeah. being in the environment of a dressing room five days a week, again, this is not being critical, it keeps you immature. And let's face it, we're in our 60s and we're immature. And we're fortunate we've both got partners who are very tolerant of our immaturity. But I think that that dressing room mentality, and as somebody that played you know, cricket for the same team for 30 years, the dressing room environment just on one or two, you know, just on a weekend, that was hilarious, brilliant, and so on. And the players miss that because they're used to that on a five or six day a week basis. They they struggle, I think, from a mental point of view. And a lot of the time, they're a pain in the ass to live with as far as their partners are concerned, because now they're moping around the house, not knowing what to do with themselves. And, you know, things start to get fractious. That can lead to the breakdown of relationships. That can always be very, very expensive if uh, if there's a separation or divorce. 
<clears throat> Another issue, Kieran, as well, as the, which the PFA have, have told us about, is how many ex-players turn to gambling to mm. try and replace the adrenaline of of football, essentially. Because now, not only have they, and, and I've I've spoken to to footballers, I've spoken to to cricketers, very high profile, Ashes winning cricketers, who you know basically the rest of their life is an attempt to recreate that dressing room environment because there's never anything like it again and and you know as a comedian i i know what it's like to be in the dressing room full of comedians and it's like if you said to me that will never happen again i'd be i'd be heartbroken so i i understand it but so many footballers will turn to things like gambling and because initially when they leave the game they probably still have a fair bit of of money in the pot in the bank initially then it's not an issue, but it only takes a year for that to disappear. But the age thing, I think, is the most important. It's like Pat Nevin said, it's not It's not just football. If you say to a 21-year-old banker or a 21-year-old mm. bricklayer, you know, think about the future, they, of course they don't think about the future. They, they just know they're getting a bit of cash on the hip at, at the age of 21 and they're, they're going to spend it. And, it, you know, because to them, 35, <clears throat> and that, that's the other problem when it comes to age because most footballers leave the game at an age when mo- when other people in other jobs are getting just into the swing of things. You know, and suddenly they're leaving at 35. They've got another 35 years, at least more, hopefully, ahead of them without the game they love. And it's, you know, there, there's only so many punditry jobs going out there. And Dion Dublin's got two of them, which is seems unfair, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Our last question, Kieran, comes from uh, the, the only thing that could have made Wonka worse is, is if Dion Dublin turned up in a cameo role, being baffled by stairs in Willy Wonka's first tiny factory. <laughs> How is that Oompa Loompa getting up to the second floor? Oh, stairs. I'm still in a bad I really am still in a bad mood after. <laughs> so why is Roy Hodgson still in a job? Yeah, man. Lovely man. Giant, lovely. Smashing, smashing fella. Thomas Linsky has our last question. And this is an interesting question, Kieran. I, I didn't realise uh, that this wasn't a done a done and dusted deal. But Thomas says, how much is still owed on the cost of building Wembley? And how much does hosting the semi-finals and finals of the FA Cup generate for Wembley? And, and is that enough? Right. Um, as far as the Football Association's uh, real estate assets, its property at St George's Park and at the at Wembley itself is concerned, the total cost of those is around about £800 million. Now, the, the, the Football Association did borrow £175 million from the Bank of England as, as a COVID loan in 2020. That has now been repaid. It doesn't actually have any external debt 
And part of the reason for that, and this is, uh, I think, an emotive issue, um, is that the, uh, the FA was given substantial grants by, uh, yeah, I think, by the Lot National Lottery Fund, wherever it was. Um, and I know that those those grants are, are worth you know, a couple of hundred million. Or, so, so it was being funded through, you know, when, when, I, when I do my Euro Millions on a Friday, I, I think it's going to you know, a local hospice or a, a youth centre or, or something like that. And I go, eh, Premier, so Football Associations, New Stadium, seems a bit, I'm not quite sure that, that, they're, that that's something I feel particularly comfortable with. Um, but they, they don't actually have any outstanding loans because the COVID loan has been repaid and fair play to them for that. Um, they have received an awful lot of money, £125 million has been received in advance from broadcasters and sponsors before the Premier League have actually, sorry, before the Football Association have delivered in terms of England matches and, and the FA Cup and, and so on. So um, that's the first question in respect of Thomas. How much does hosting the semi-finals and the final of the FA Cup generate for Wembley? They don't break down the individual matches. What they do is they put a collective for England matches and other. Um, there has been, I think, a debate, especially amongst football fans, um, in relation to is Wembley the appropriate place for semi-finals of an FA Cup? I'm old school. I quite like the idea. You know, I, I went to to Highbury in 1983, and that seemed because Wembley was, you know, was the was sacrosanct. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, but the introduction of semi-finals at Wembley was was partly done because it's got greater capacity, um, but partly due to the fact that it did provide additional finance to the football association when you know, the spending on Wembley was high. Now, some people say, well, it didn't go that far over budget, but the reason for that is because the budget was ridiculously high uh, to begin with and, uh, you know, I, I don't think that the national stadium should be the London should be based in London because there's too much London centric uh, viewpoint of the country. Yeah, from a geographical point of view, you've got those clubs in the Midlands, in the Northwest, and the Northeast who uh, who are entitled to a, a shorter journey, just as fans from London clubs. Yeah, well, you know my views on that, Kieran. I don't think this country is London centric enough, as far as I'm concerned. But even I think. The National Stadium, and of course, there's historical reasons why it ended up at Wembley, yeah. but it should be in the in the in the Midlands. It should be in the West Midlands. It should, you know, around the NEC or where Birmingham International Airport. That's where the National Stadium should be. Somewhere with really, really good transport links that, as you say, everybody can get to in a an easier way. Um, I meant to ask you this the other day, Kieran, because we discussed the notion that the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup were going to stay two-legged. For the at least for the next two or three seasons, but I meant to ask you: Would when they inevitably do become uh, one match affairs, uh, if the Carabao Cup survives, that is, do you think the Football League would then be looking to hire Wembley uh, to host those? That will be one option. It would certainly sell out Wembley. You know, you'd easily get eighty thousand, um, and. You know that that would the clubs object because clearly you know, the football association would take a slice, or would they say, well, 
you know, if, if it is Middlesbrough, as we've seen, then actually we'll probably make more money because, you know, we're, we're getting, uh, you know, we're getting to play in front of an 80,000 capacity. So I, I think it's, it's, it is one option. Um, you know, an, another option is that you, you do something similar to what we're seeing in, in the Italian Super Cup and it, you know, it gets played overseas. Uh, everything and anything is up for grabs these days. Um, you know, having two semi-finals and a final of a competition um, spread over a week uh, in New York, in Mumbai, in Beijing, in Riyadh um, could be very, very lucrative for the EFL. Now, I'm not saying as a fan I'd want it, but things aren't necessarily yeah, so money talks. We've, we've always said. I think it's a measure of how much the game has changed, Kieran. I noticed on Sky a few weeks ago, a few days ago, the result of an Italian Cup game that had been played in Saudi Arabia, and it just did it. It, it, it took about ten minutes for it to sink in, and just go, "Well, Saudi Arabia." And you go, "Well, fair enough. That's that's the world we live in." Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that would be very kind of you, and it will get you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes. And you can do that by going to Patreon.com/slash/PriceOfFootball. Um, I should point out, Kieran, before we get angry emails from some of our listeners in that part of the world, I'm not questioning the fact the game was played in Saudi Arabia. I'm questioning the fact it wasn't played in Italy. It doesn't matter where outside Italy it should have been played, but it should have been played in Italy. Uh, if you have a question you'd like answered on a show, on our next, well, it won't be our next questions pod, Kieran. It'll be, if you're lucky, it'll be this year, <laughs> but it certainly won't be our next one. But you can email us your questions at questions at priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Thursday with our normal news pod. Um, until then, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary cheerful farewell. Well, thank you, uh, everybody who's been in contact, who's uh, who's giving us stories. Uh, we, we do have a, uh, a series of snouts these days that would make, uh, would make Grouty mm. from Porridge absolutely <laughs> delighted. Um <laughs> If you want to use Patreon, uh, that way you can get an ad-free version of, of the show and, and the quizzes and so on. That would be grand. Uh, but equally, if you just want to support us the show in any other way, why not, why not just give us a review? It helps us sit with the charts, helps us with algorithms. doesn't matter what you say. So you could even say, and I suspect this could be it could be quite a feisty conversation, you could even say you'd have it hosted by Mark Steele and Roy Hodgson. And I think uh, <laughs> we, we, we would have a very intrigued listenership. <laughs> There'd only be one winner. Yes. <laughs> oh, actually, no. I don't know. Having having interviewed, but no, actually, no. Actually, I'm thinking about it, that. Would be a that would be a feisty matchup. <laughs> That's boxing versus MMA. That is. Well, yeah. We could make that one happen, Kieran, as well. Oh, oh. most of them. We most of them we can't do. We could put feelers out to see if that one could happen. Yes, let's face it. Hopefully, one of hopefully one of them is going to be more available in the next couple of days than he has been in the past few days. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm so full of